Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Happy July 4th. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) April Fool's Day. Trickster. Oh, Matt, stop it. You're killing me. It's as good as it gets, folks, right there on the Matt Townsend Show. We like to play our April Fool's jokes early. There it is. James came in today dressed like Madonna. April Fool's. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) We're having so much fun on the show today. Normally, we don't start out having this much fun. But it's April Fool's. Yes, it is. How can you not? Nothing makes me laugh more than the uh, 4-1. It's yep. April 1st. <laughs> are, you okay? are you okay? Is it? Is this? Are you got it out of your system yet? <laughs> you know, um, I've noticed uh, I wheeze a lot on the show. Kind of wheezy. Maybe you just have one of those wheeze laughs. People yeah. have said, when you laugh, it's like... <laughs> yeah. It's like that. It's like a Ernie from Sesame Street sort of thing. Yeah, I've never thought. Except of he's that. more of a, and that's not really what you're nah, doing. I was thinking more of like an asthmatic smoker. Could be. You're like that one uh, cartoon you, dog. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, what was yeah. his name? Mugsley? Is that what his name? <laughs> that dog was great. <laughs> April Fools. This is good. I asked. I asked Terry. So Terry, what are we going to do for April Fool's Day? Nothing. And he just threw a big wet blanket on it. I'm like, isn't that so cliche that people are looking for it? No, they weren't. Because when I started out and I said, happy 4th of July, do you think nobody any, was expecting that. Do you think anyone went, oh, wait, oh, wait a second. No, it's not. Yes. I know I did. James did. <laughs> totally fell for it. Wait, is today the day of independence? Yes. Ah! Wow, it sneaks up every year. Just kidding. No. For those of you that are not quite awake yet, we're just kidding. It's Don't not t- July 4th. It's not. It's May 3rd. I <laughs> go to work. <laughs> April Fool's. This can go all day, folks. I hope not. It's going to go three hours at least on this show. <sighs> I was up till midnight. It sounds like it. <laughs> You're a little short on sleep. Uh, Someone's overcompensating. Totally. You have not, and I'm losing my voice. That's good. For For who? You say that's good. What do you mean? I meant that in sarcastic Okay, good. Because I was like, that sounded rude. Yeah. Because really, it would be bad because then you guys would have to take over the show. Right. And then I could just go back in the producer booth and just, you know, look at my Reflection? Tweets? Which is what you guys apparently do. Yeah. Well, someone has to do that. It's a huge part of the show. It is. is Your Twitter presence. Yeah. That's totally true. In fact, follow us on uh, my... Twitter page. What's my Twitter handle? At Dr. Matt Show. At Dr. Matt Show. Better write that one down. At Dr. Matt Show. I, I just got the booth to confirm that was right. At Dr. Matt Show. Yes. Follow me on Facebook as well. Anything else? Uh, uh, I'm on um, Instagram. 
I never do anything there. Periscope? No. Well, you're on Twitter, so you're on Periscope. Twitter. Hey, uh, what's the name of the program that's on Twitter Yeah. where you can video? Periscope. What's the other one? Meerkat. That's not Twitter. It's, an, it's, a, it's a similar product. We need to do company. that on the show. We need Periscope. Periscope's the easy one. We're going to try Periscope I think, I think Twitter's soon. trying to handicap Meerkat so it goes away. Oh, really? Yeah, they keep taking away features. Periscope? They, yeah. Okay, I want to do that. Be careful. What? A lot of chat roulette going on. Because, yeah, chat roulette where all As I showed you the other day. All of a sudden, yeah. You, you can pick just, a random video and you're like, whoa, hey. Yeah, be careful on Periscope. But we're going to do event. One day we're going to do Periscope and then you'll be able to see the show live. Yeah. While, while we're doing we'll, it. We'll set a phone up for three hours. Oh, that'll be so great. Looking just at you. No, no, no. But we'll oh, really? just have to keep moving it around. You'll, that's okay. what we'll do is we'll just keep you moving. And we'll we have Brandon how, do it. We'll see how many followers we can get. Yeah. To, wa- to watch the show. I know my, my wife would follow. My mom. Hmm. There's two. Well, it's not really a follow. It's more because the video disappears when you're well, done. Well, yeah. No, but they'll watch. They'll just click on. They'll and, watch for yeah. that period of time till we get bored with it. So I'm going to bet 20 minutes in we're done. Which uh, I think with the rest of people using it, it's about 20 minutes and yeah, you're done. Good. That's good. That's all we need to do. Lots of things are happening. What? The uh, Iranian nuclear talks. Yeah. They were extended one day. Overtime. There are threats the U.S. will walk away if there is not an agreement. That are, people are already leaving. Like, certain the, uh, leaders are starting to just walk away. Yeah. The French foreign minister declared he will return to France until his presence would be useful. That's how we put it. <laughs> so they're still negotiating that. We'll see how that goes. In the dating world, that's the phrase, um, this isn't working for me. <laughs> It's about me it's, and it's you. It's not, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, call me if you're ever interested. Benjamin Netanyahu took advantage of the delayed deadline of for a, a nuclear deal with Iran to call for stiffer rules for the Islamic Republic. See, this is what's going to happen. According They're going to get a beat down. According to the prime minister, an acceptable deal would significantly roll back Iran's nuclear infrastructure. He has been a vocal opponent to the negotiations. Mm. So. You know, though, what's sad is that, you know, President Obama put a lot behind this. As did John Kerry. Some were even saying this could have been a Nobel Peace Prize. However, didn't quite work out yet. And um, now all the Republicans are going to jump on Netanyahu. Everyone's going to do a little beat down. I don't know. To the uh, Lufthansa air- airliner that crashed mm. in the French Alps, apparently the airline knew that the co-pilot had a previous episode of severe depression in '09. While he was training to become a pilot, they knew right. about this. It was disclosed in documents. Um, a lot of the uh, issues with this and the reason why he was still flying has to do with some of the privacy laws in Germany. Yeah. They're rather strict. And so the airline may not have known to the extent, but just would have known that he had some problems. Well, and everybody says, well, yeah, so why is he flying if he has depression? Well, dude, because 20% of the population has depression. And very few of that 20% would ever do this. So don't ever equate depression to this complete manic movement. And, of course, last week the uh, chief executive of the airline reported that uh, the pilot was 100% flight-worthy without any any limitations. So that might come back to – Except for the fact that in this garbage can there were doctor's notes saying – In other words, in other news, insurancers have told the airline Lufthansa to set aside $300 million for costs relating to legal issues stemming from the crash. Yeah. And that's on top of the five hundred, what forty five thousand dollars per that family that they've already given. So it's going to, uh, as these things do, they turn kind of expensive. Arkansas passed a religious freedoms act through mm. their legislature. How that? How's that going? It's on the governor's desk. 
he could uh, sign it today. Is it as volatile as Indiana's? Yes. It's is similar it? to Indiana's. Uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook, mm-hmm. he is an Arkansas native. He's not for this, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Walmart's CEO, home base, Arkansas. Sam Walton, Walton family. It's a guy named Doug McMillan. Okay. CEO Walmart said in a statement, the act threatens to undermine the spirit of inclusion present throughout the state of Arkansas and does not reflect the values we proudly uphold for the for these reasons. We are asking Governor Hutchison to veto the legislation. There you go. That's cool. So we'll see what happens with it's that. It's interesting how business leaders are taking such a bigger role now. They're actually inserting themselves politically in a way they used to never do that. They tried to stay out of stuff like that. Yeah. Now they're getting in it. They can see that they have influence and they can use it for, for good in this situation. It's good. Good leadership. Um, so all kinds of... Uh, I guess James says we're done. Apparently. Moving on. Man. More news coming up. We'll talk about the people who have decided not to go to the Final Four. Oh, good. Because of this, uh, oh, these oh, I laws you meant in Indiana. The teams that were all eliminated. No, there's coaches, meetings, and all kinds of convention type stuff around it. So we'll talk about that later. Good stuff. James apparently is now uh, in complete charge of the show. <laughs> April Fools. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, do you ever feel like you've been pulled over? by a police officer and it really was kind of a minor infraction but the ticket's going to raise a lot of money for the city when we come back we're going to be talking about uh, the municipalities using tickets and fines and fees and taxes to raise money for their communities we're getting into it my friends this is the matt townsend show you're listening to us right here on sirius xm 143 byu radio Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, we we all heard about uh, what was going on in Ferguson, Missouri, and the impact that had. And many were sitting there thinking, what is the big deal? Come on. If you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. Well, later, a Department of Justice report came out, um, and in the report... There was some pretty damning evidence and information that uh, there was something amok going on there. Here's some examples. In Ferguson, which has a city population of about 21,000 people, 16,000 of the population, which is 76%, have outstanding arrest warrants meaning that they are currently actively wanted by police. So in the city of Ferguson, 76% of the residents currently are actively wanted by police. Okay. In 2013, there were 32,000 offenses with associated warrants in Ferguson. So that means that there were 1.5 offenses for every city resident. Now, That means there's a lot of arrests going on. There's a lot of warrants for arrests that are going on. People that didn't go pay their fines, people that didn't go to court, people that didn't show up. So warrants were issued. Now compare that. That's 32,975 offenses in Ferguson. In 2014, in the Boston Municipal Court System, which is a city of 645,000 people, right? Ferguson has 21,000 people. 
they issued in Boston 2,300 criminal warrants compared to, you know, 32,975 offenses that had associated warrants. So the Ferguson Municipal Court issued 9,000 warrants for a population a 30th the size of Boston. Boston had 23 criminal warrants. Ferguson Municipal Court issued 9,000. There's something going on. 92% of Ferguson's arrest warrants were issued against African Americans and blacks were 68% less likely than others to have their cases dismissed by municipal courts. And that kind of brought up some issues. One of the issues that came into the whole play of this is the fact that the city was making a lot of money issuing tickets and fines against the minority population. And in fact, it was ranked in the top eight of 80 municipal courts in in St. Louis County by having more than $1 million in revenue. In fact, the city manager that was there reported in an email to the city council how proud he was of the police force, congratulating the police and the court staff for their great work because the previous month they had reached a collections amount of $235,000 that they had collected. (sighs) So should our police force be gratefully lauded for raising hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in revenue against, not against, but in their work. That's what we wanted to talk about today. Are there, are, are the cities working with us and using their police force, for example, to protect or, and are they using it to generate revenue? So we wanted to bring in an expert that knows a lot about this. And, uh, I have a friend, Rick Davis, uh, who, who's the man. Uh, today we're joined by Rick Davis, who is a 20-year veteran of municipal government. He's a former state performance auditor. He's a corporate public relations executive. He currently serves as vice president of public sector services with Tanner LLC, which is a business services and government consulting firm based in Salt Lake City. Rick Davis, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. It's good to talk to you. How are you, brother? Hey, I am doing great. Now, you heard those numbers there from Ferguson, uh, yeah. Missouri. Is is Are the cops there to raise money? Well, municipal uh, traffic enforcement has a, a lot of purposes. Uh, when, when you look at the complete support or array of revenue sources to support municipal services, not everything is supported by property taxes. Not everything is supported by sales tax. So most municipalities do in fact look to their traffic enforcement program as a means of supporting their court service uh, expenses, and if if they can at all, a little piece of their traffic enforcement program. Hmm. So, yes, uh, to raise revenue, but uh, specifically earmarked to support those uh, functions that stem off of or, or connect to uh, traffic enforcement. So really courts, so the traffic enforcement is usually used for courts to support the courts and to support yeah. other, uh, I guess, police activities or, uh, you know, other traffic improvements or things like that. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it's kind of a misimpression that most people have that that property taxes and sales taxes support all municipal services. When, in fact, in most communities, especially here along the Wasatch Front, uh, property tax will scarcely provide the support for 
either the fire department or the police department, which generally represents more than 50% of the operating budget of a municipality. Hmm. So really, so it's one thing to have the police department, you know, ticketing people. And I mean, I guess that's, I mean, that's to be expected. Um, but it seems like it crosses a line, Rick, when it turns, when the when the concept is revenue generating or even revenue based versus, I mean, I guess they have to have cause to give you the ticket. And well, right. Yeah. But, but if, yes. if, if all of a sudden you're go, you're, you're being lauded for for basically having $235,000 worth of fines collected, it seems off. It, it, cert, it certainly can be, and, and that's why I, I generally counsel cities to become focused on outcomes instead of outputs. Hmm. Now, the difference being outcomes are the things that people care about, and the outputs are just generally what happens when you do X, Y occurs, uh, that's not necessarily a, a great focus. When I write tickets and I focus my attention and define success by revenue generated, well, then that tells me that the municipality or the community may be focused on the, on the wrong outcome. Hmm. Now, an appropriate outcome for traffic enforcement needs to be traffic safety. Right. The, re- the reduction of injury accidents. Uh, it also could be that you want to focus your outcome and define success by how well you've been able to utilize your visibility through traffic enforcement to abate other crimes. You bet. We know that the more visible your police department is, the lower crime generally is in your community. Well, in fact, and I've seen that. Uh, you, In fact, you and I both lived in a city that, that seemed to be a fairly uh, – wealthy city because of tax base there was just there just seemed to be a lot of money in in that in the city and yet i and i always saw police cars everywhere mm-hmm. everywhere and i never yeah. for 9 years i don't think once i got pulled over in that city but there were always police officers everywhere i moved to yeah. a little smaller town uh where i didn't see police officers everywhere and now and i'm getting pulled over a lot more so this is all my problem quite honestly but but the interesting thing is having police out there it does abate crime i'm sure and i guess even having police over there pulling people over so that's a good thing um and then i mean i've even i just got a ticket recently where i should have maybe been fined more and yet the cop was really nice he's like i'm just going to write it for 5 over but it was still 100 and $20 ticket or whatever. Sure. So is it the price that's going to get me to stop and slow down? Is it the embarrassment of being pulled over that's going to get me to slow down? Is the price that high simply because the city needs more money? Is, well, the, you know, the, uh, the only there – are, there are generally three different kinds of cases that uh, municipal courts handle. They do not handle felonies or anything of a large scale or a serious scale. Generally, they are going to process traffic tickets, misdemeanors, and small claims. Uh, only one of those, uh, of those three categories of infractions actually provides any stream of revenue to a municipal court. Misdemeanors and small claims are losers for cities. So you'll find that justice courts that operate in cities that have a high volume of, of uh, criminal activity rather than, than traffic infractions, actually these courts are subsidized by other tax revenues. So, yes, ticket, t- 
tickets are what support uh, your municipal court operations and your traffic enforcement program. Uh, most courts here in Utah are not doing much more than breaking even if they are doing that at all. I know that that sounds uh, kind of funny to people who have been pulled over recently. They think, wow, now I'm paying a $180 ticket and they still can't break even. <laughs> uh, court operations are extremely expensive. And what we have seen over the last five years is an actual decline in the number of traffic tickets written. And uh, while small claims and misdemeanors continue to be kind of level, and mm. we've run these numbers several times. So in other words, courts are finding it more difficult to break even with solely that revenue stream, uh, i.e. the traffic tickets. Do you revenue. sense, Rick, that the – actually, let's take a break. And then I, I want you to answer when we come back. Are, are police officers – are they given um, – are they given a quota? So be ready to answer that. Are they? Is there a certain amount of tickets they need to write? And is that ticket generally tied to a revenue number, a revenue goal? Or is it that they just know we need to write 10 tickets a week to know that the city will be safe? We're talking with Rick Davis, who is a consultant uh, to local governments and city governments all over the country, quite honestly. He's been everywhere. In fact, even Afghanistan, if I'm correct. We'll come back and continue to talk uh, to him about this and, you know, the, the, the fundraising exercises of the municipal governments right uh, here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, ever since the Department of Justice report came out on Ferguson, Missouri, uh, and found that Ferguson, Missouri, they're doing a lot of uh, ticketing, a lot of, um, basically, uh, they're charging a lot of African Americans with crimes, disproportionately so to the in the community, and... Uh, I mean, disproportionately so to the national average by like 30 times. So it's not a mistake that something was awry in Ferguson. Something just wasn't right. And it created that that tension, that melting, that uh, that I don't know, just like this major moment of friction that uh, we saw erupt in Ferguson. And one of the things that I think happens is you don't normally see that in everyday uh, cities. Now, you might be frustrated by your city. Maybe they're not quite making the right decisions, you don't think. That makes sense with the money. But it's it's different to create such tension between the government and the police and their people, as we saw in Ferguson. Uh, but where I have actually seen it, just casually, is because I teach workshops um, and I, I once got a speeding ticket, so I'm kind of divulging the fact that I have a speeding problem. Um, and I was driving actually with my mom to California uh, about 10 years ago. And there's a town on I-15 on the way to California that is called Beaver, Utah. And I got a speeding ticket there, interestingly, uh, going 100 miles an hour. 
Uh, I was in a fast car, just so you know, trying to impress my mom and heading down a hill. So it wasn't my fault. My car just got away from me. But I got a $300 speeding ticket. <clears throat> and I, um, I tend to just talk about whatever's going on. So in my workshops, I'd mentioned that I got a speeding ticket in Beaver, Utah. And amazingly, uh, everyone else said, oh, I got a ticket in Beaver, Utah. Oh, I got a ticket in Beaver, Utah. And I found out that about 5% of the people I told the story to had all had a ticket in Beaver, Utah. And I'm like, well, that's just, wow, they are, they're on top of it. <laughs> they are on top of the ticketing world. Well, what they're doing is they're making a lot of money on people that are traveling and just, you know, because you're coming from like maybe an 80 mile an hour speed limit to then you got to slow down as you're entering Beaver, Utah, and these cops are getting you left and right. Well, I also, on a similar trip to California, <clears throat> went into a gas station. And at the gas station, uh, I was getting a drink, filling my car up with gas. And this really nice guy from the tire station, the tire repair service station in the same gas station area, came up to my car and said, dude, your tires are your your tires are dangerously worn out. And I'm like, what? And he started to talk to me about, you know, how worn out my tires are. And I really ought to have it looked at. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad you told me that my car could, my tires could explode and I could die right before I got a ticket from Beaver Police. And lo and behold, a new story just came out about a, a scam that was going on in this small town where at the time the uh, – and basically now, by the way, this station, this gas station and repair shop has been fined $10,000 because they basically were strong-arming people into getting – you better get your tires checked. And people were spending thousands of dollars to get new tires in this area. And it happened to have been run and pushed by um, a, a past mayor of Beaver, Utah. And so I started thinking, is there something going on? Well – I don't know. However, I do know I bought $500 worth of tickets at that, or tires at the gas station and I paid $300 in a ticket to Beaver, Utah. By the way, both my fault. Um, and yet $800 to the beautiful town of Beaver, Utah. Now, on the phone is Rick Davis. He's a, he's a consultant with municipalities across the country and the world and uh, is an expert in this, has been in local government, municipal government for 20 years, and he's an expert at how these how local government works and how they raise their money. Rick Davis, thanks for being with us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Have you ever had a ticket in Beaver, Utah? <laughs> you know, I've had a ticket in Nephi. There you go. Which is, uh, it's on the road. It's a hot, hot spot also. I had a chance in my graduate program, our, our class, one of my classes got a visit from uh, the commander of the Utah Highway Patrol. Mm -hmm. And he came in and talked to our class, and I raised my hand, and I said, how come I always get a ticket in Nephi? How about I see cars pulled over in Nephi? And he says, well, that's a great question. <laughs> he proceeded to explain to me that Nephi, and in fact, I'm, I'm guessing that Beaver is, is similar in, in this uh, regard, uh, appears to be a, a hot spot for the transportation of uh, illegal substances throughout our state. In fact, the confluence of both east-west and north-south highways yeah. in, in these types of locations in rural Utah 
seem to be places where those running or transporting uh, drugs uh, choose to travel. Mm-hmm. And I said, so so you're going to pull over every car? And he said, he shook his head to me uh, at me, and he says, well, you have to understand one thing, that criminals love to speed. <laughs> I go, you're kidding. So true. I said, if, 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 I they're do too. if they're violating the law, aren't they going to slow down? He says, well, first of all, let me tell you, you're not dealing with brainiacs here. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. If you're transporting drugs, you're pretty much on your last option, uh, vocationally speaking. So uh, we find, he says, through our traffic enforcement program on the I-15 corridor in places like Beaver and in Nephi, we find a lot of drugs. I That really opened my eyes. Later on in my career, I would validate that traffic enforcement is one of the most important components of effective law enforcement. If nothing else, visibility. When I hired our new chief uh, in a city that I work for, I said, I want to see a lot of red and blue flashing lights. And then he said, well, you don't care if I give, I actually give tickets. I can warn people and things like that. And I said, oh, absolutely. I just hmm. want the police department out there in yeah. our community. You know, you, you hit a great point because when I was being pulled over, uh, my mom started to hide her purse, so I'm betting she had some drugs in there. <laughs> and I don't, again, I don't want to cast aspersions, but it is April Fool's Day. <laughs> Probably not the kind yeah. they were looking for. She did roll down her window and throw something out of the car. <laughs> anyway, I hope she's listening. Um, yeah. Here's one of the things, too, Rick. So, tickets aside, we also yeah. hear a lot of stories recently about. Uh, fees that need to be paid, violations for homes, you know, homes that who they haven't mowed their lawn or they have too many cars in the front yard. Are, are municipalities, are they kind of just, I mean, I know the goal is to, you know, keep everything orderly, keep everything clean, but sometimes you wonder if you're not also being nickel and dimed because they're in also to all the sports programs with our youth. They're trying to keep the parks open. And then all of a sudden you're paying fees for the youth. You're paying all of these fees, all of these taxes. Are, are the municipalities in that much trouble that they just need to find money everywhere they can? Or are we just becoming excessive? Are we expecting yeah. too much from our cities? You know, over the last couple of decades particularly, we've seen a real trend coast to coast toward uh, time revenues generated in municipalities to the services being offered. In other words, those paying property taxes and sales taxes, particularly property taxes, have become increasingly insistent that those revenues not go to support services that that the payor of those taxes does not engage in or enjoy. Hmm. Uh, So those that are more specialized towards youth programs and, and things like that, sure, property taxes go to support that. Sure, sales taxes do. But cities really try to tie revenue sources to the services being provided, and that's the birth of enterprise uh, funds, and those are the ones tied to utilities. Uh, so what we've seen through our strategic planning efforts with communities is this growing insistence and uh, increasingly uh, citizens' name as some of their primary directives for their community uh, community or city aesthetics and quality of life. And it's actually been the citizens themselves that we've observed with our various clients 
that through the strategic planning process, they say, we want code enforcement out there. We're tired of living next to the junkyard. We're tired. And boy, I could tell you some stories. Oh, I'm sure. That, that have uh, been uh, congregated or accumulated on people's properties. <laughs> but we, it's unbelievable. But no, they're relatives. They're all relatives. Yeah. yeah. We want it clean. And so code enforcement is the primary way of doing that. But when you look at a, a $50 million operating fund for a city, a medium or, or larger city, uh, code enforcement provides less than probably five cents on the dollar. Okay. So it's not much. No. Tell me this, Rick. Why um, – it seems like a company, an, a, an organization, even a for-profit company <clears throat> might be able to run certain functions that our cities are running. They might be able to run them more cost-efficient, more effectively. They might be able to take some of those services and actually do it cheaper, better, and, and – then maybe a city. For example, if there's a program for a youth soccer league, I mean, I know the cities run those, but couldn't a for-profit youth soccer league program maybe do it better, cheaper, offload it, and just partner with the community? It's, is that an option, or why is the city into so many things? Well, first we go back to the definition of what a city is. And, or even what government is, and, and that is an institution that provides services to its citizens that the private sector is either unwilling or unable to provide uh, that is essential to quality of life. So those three criteria, essential to quality of life, private sector is unable or private sector is unwilling to provide. Now, I know there's a lot of people listening that says, like, I would, I'd be willing to get into a lot of stuff if the city would allow me, and they weren't in the middle of providing that service. The reality is I have, in my experience over two decades, not come across one recreation program that pays for itself. Hmm. There's no money in it. Yeah. And people say, oh, I could, I could make a lot of money off of running uh, a, a soccer program for a city. Well, sure you could, as long as the city provides you the land area. The parks, yeah, everything. maintains the land for you stripes the fields, <laughs> yeah. waters it, yes, you could, but if you had to provide your own infrastructure to provide these services, you would find out very quickly that recreation is a financial loser. Right. But citizens want it and are willing to support these services because they know that it contributes to quality of life in their community. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally buy that. And talk, uh, we got about a minute left, Rick. Teach us... Sure. What are we supposed to do as just the average citizen to to maybe be heard by our city governments and to to maybe guide them, push them more in a direction that that we want, so we don't have eventually kind of this lopsided Ferguson reality? Well, exactly, and that's a great question, Matt. First of all, people need to realize that the community is them. The community isn't that that building that uh, has the word city hall written on it. It is your local government, and you need to engage in it. You need to insist that your community includes citizens in the strategic planning of their community. Cities and administrators are very good, dedicated professionals who want the best for their community, but unfortunately, sometimes they're not entirely inclusive 
of their citizens in planning their community's future. So community-based strategic planning is fundamental. Secondly, you know, don't complain about local government or any government if you don't vote. Right. So for heaven's sake, if nothing else, vote. 30% turnout is atrocious in this, the freest country on the planet. Uh, we had 15% turnout until we mailed everybody's ballot to them and paid the postage, and then we only got 30% wow. to participate in local government. If you're not going to vote, then then just be happy with what you have. Yeah, get involved. Uh, get involved, vote, serve each other, take care of your neighbor's needs and watch out for them. And then finally, insist that citizens are included in planning strategically the future of your community. Those are the three fundamental things. That's great, Rick. I appreciate it and uh, just appreciate the effort of really all of these these kind of public sector uh, forces that are working for us. Again, it's easy to beat you guys up, but in the end also (laughs) none of us want to do it (laughs) or we'd be running and we'd be more involved. Rick Davis, we appreciate you and uh, continue your great work. Uh, you can go to uh, Tanner. Just go look up. Is, what's the website, Rick, with Tanner? Well, it's uh, www.tannercoforcompany.com. Yep. Uh, you can see us there. And uh, and uh, just uh, look us up. We provide a, an array of services in both private and public sector. That's great stuff. Rick Davis, Ooh. Vice President of Public Sector Services with Tanner LLC. Uh, and just a, a good guy, good all-around guy who gives uh, – he's given 20-something years to running municipalities. And uh, it's not an easy job, folks. So get out there. Get involved. Go to the meetings. Go vote. Push, push, push. And uh, and also just be grateful for what you do have in your community. Boy, believe me, it could be, it could be worse. We're going to take a break, uh, come back, continue our discussions. You know, maybe there's going to be a few more April Fool's jokes coming up. Who knows? Oh, that might be April Fool's right there because we probably won't. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's it's April Fool's. But you wouldn't know it on this show. Because we bring you nothing but the truth. 24-7. <laughs> James has got hot, happy eyebrows. Your eyebrows are dancing all over, left and right, to and fro. Uh, have you got anything planned with your queen? With Monclova? What's her name? Um, Monclova. Mariah. Oh, Mariah. Ma- 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 Mariah? Yeah. What are you going to do with her for April Fool's Day? Uh, take the ring back. Just take it back. No. That's not a fun April no, Fool's Day. No, just take it. No. See what she does. No. It's the worst thing that could happen. No, I feel like there's some things you shouldn't joke about. Yeah. Without serious repercussions. Honey, I've, I've got cancer. What? April Fool's. Psych! <laughs> Good example. What? Seattle Seahawks linebacker. Mm-hmm. Bruce Irvin. Sent out a tweet this morning. Before I hit this hits the media, I just want to apologize to my fans and the Seahawks organization once again. I made a terrible uh, mistake <laughs> driving drunk. I got pulled over. <laughs> and then he goes through about two or three tweets talking about that but, but he had a few drinks. It was a bad oh, decision. No. And then he goes, yeah, you don't do that. how many of you people thought that was real? Psych! <laughs> so that's okay. probably a bad example. But there is a rule. Do. When you're going to do an April Fool's joke, don't 
throw yourself under the bus. <laughs> throw someone else under the bus. You know what I mean? He should have said, I hope you all don't, don't judge my friend Russell Wilson. <laughs> There's a bunch of he just can't uh, handle his alcohol. companies online that are doing some uh, April Fool's type pranks. Okay, okay. Google. Yeah, Googly. James just showed me this one. If you type in com.google into your browser. Yeah. I'm going to do it right now. Do it right now. Com.google. Hmm? Com.google. What? It flips everything backwards. It's oh. like you're looking at Google in a mirror. And That's so now as you go through there to look at the web, things will be flipped around. Does everything go backwards forever? Not sure. Well, by the way, now you know how my world feels. Yeah. Com.google. Com.google. Google also yesterday introduced, uh, if you go to Google Maps, you can play Pac-Man. There's a little box in the corner where you can click and it takes the roads about of wherever you are and it changes it to a Pac-Man board. <laughs> and then you can uh, run around. I was playing yesterday. It was kind of fun. Oh, man. This is horrible because now my entire Google browser is backwards. Yeah. All your Google searches are backwards. You know. That's cool. You can play kind Google, on Google Maps. You can play Pac-Man. You can play Pac-Man. Apparently in my neighborhood, though, there's not enough roads yeah. to give enough playing space. So I had to... They had to ship me somewhere else to oh, play in that neighborhood sad. instead. So Google also has a dial-up mode. That you, they said that <laughs> their fiber was getting too fast, so to allow people to slow their lives down and have time to you can get Google do other dial things. Up. Yep, exactly. So <laughs> your uh, your uh, small downloads will now take hours. That's perfect, just like the old days. Yep. The Uber ride-sharing company. Yes. They, uh, they were pilot- piloting a program allowing users to hitch a ride on boats on the streets of Bangkok ahead of the rainy season. <laughs> Samsung introduces the Galaxy Blade Edge, the world's first smart knife with smartphone capabilities. Ooh, did James, did you get that? James loves knives. I'm looking at it, yeah. The phone knife apparently features a razor-sharp diamond edge, tough enough to cut through a lobster tail, and then sharp enough to cut through a tender tomato. <laughs> and listen to the dimensions of this. Uh, it's long enough and wide enough. So it's, yeah. it's the perfect size. It is long enough. So instead yeah. of millimeters oh, wow. and all that, it's it's, it's long enough. It's plenty. It's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> the CERN uh, theorist Ben Kenobi, you know, the yeah. CERN is the, hydro, the, the large Hedron Collider in Europe. They're okay. smashing yeah. atoms. Yeah. And, and Dr. Ben Kenobi. Dr. Yeah, ben so Dr. Kenobi. Ben Kenobi has claimed that the force is what binds the galaxy together, but dark matter researcher... Dave Vader made it stop, dismissed the revelation with a quip, asteroids do not concern me. Isn't, so isn't Vader uh, a lord? It's, his name's Dave here. I think, I think he's, I think he's in the House I, of Lords. Yeah, I yeah. think he's from the United Kingdom. Lord well, Vader. What they're yeah. saying is they have discovered the force in the Hedron Collider. Really? One of the side effects. Because a lot of people uh, thought maybe a black hole would show yeah. up, but they said no. they discovered the force. Fantastic. You news. know, they're always at heads with one another. You know, Kenobi and Vader. Yeah. It's, it's been classic. They seemed, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. They could probably make an epic movie out of it. Yeah. The Such econ- tension. The Economist yeah. reports that Ukrainian President Petro, Petro Shurinko, right. That's probably not even close. Has thrown down with gauntlet to Vladimir Putin, challenging the Russian leader a one-off judo match to settle the future of eastern Ukraine. Perfect. April Fools. 
Ultimate fighting moment. BMW has announced the launch of a series of mouth guards offering rugby players the same impact protection as our drivers. (laughs) The German car company says the interior of the guard uses uh, tire tread technology and grips accordingly, (laughs) while the BMW's signature kidney Mm. grill lies between the front incisors acting as an elegant respiration vent. Oh, perfect. So you can breathe through it. So you can breathe through the... But it has the agility of, like, some really nice Pirelli tires. Yeah. Fantastic. And they spell tires T-Y-R-E. Oh, oh so tire tight. Yeah. 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 Uh, Honda, uh, Honda's announced the all-new HRV Selfie Edition. Oh. The hybrid vehicle is kind of an SUV mm-hmm. crossover sort yeah. of. It combines two of America, American millennials' favorite things, taking selfies and signing mind-blowingly expensive car leases that will cripple their financial future <laughs> for years to come. <laughs> <laughs> Call your kids. And then it says, it says, with 10 cameras across the interior and exterior, the HRV Selfie Edition allows drivers to snap portraits while the car is in park. Oh, that is fantastic. Oh, only in park. Yeah. See, that's, that's smart. It's because, safe. Yeah, you don't want to be snapping selfies while you're driving. There's a grocery store, um, Tesco, I think it's called, in uh, in Europe, in England, and they've introduced bouncy aisles. Bouncy aisles? So you aisles. get to the top of the shelves. Oh, it's like trampolines down the aisles. And you just bounce up, grab your Wheaties. A bank has introduced drive-through tellers with your bike, so you can ride your bicycle through the building to get to the tellers. Just making things more convenient on April 1st. It just seems like today, more than any other day, we have more creativity going on. Like People are reaching out today more than ever. (laughs) I mean, bouncy aisles. Bouncy aisles. How long have we needed those? Absolutely. And they hired a gymnast to be the the official store trainer, so you could get the... Yeah, which is great, because you're opening up all those past gymnasts now have a great line of employment (laughs) as the the bouncy aisle trainer. Wow, good stuff, folks. April 1st. April 1st. Lots of great news on April 1st. We uh, are going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, start a whole new show. Would you believe that being distracted... And the easy, more easily you're distracted, it increases the likelihood of being creative. That's next hour on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt Townsend here. And uh, this just in, late breaking news, Pac-Man has been uh, has been seen. That cute little friendly disc that eats little dots. It's moving all over the country. Well, Google Maps. Yeah. Theoretically. Not, no, realistically. It's not really running through like... No, it, be, dude, it's it, on Google Maps. It'd I'm be interesting at it right if here. they could go Street View and you could just <laughs> run Pac-Man down your street. That'd be kind of fun. Do like I, a 3D version of Pac-Man? Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? I, I think what they need to do is they need to go look. You need to go on Google Maps, find Pac-Man where he is, find him. Should be in the bottom left corner. And then when you see that he's about to come by your house, run out. Yeah, run out and see if he's there. But don't stand in front of him because you'll think you're a dot. Or a ghost. Or a ghost. And then depending on if he's hopped up on a power pellet, does he attack or No, not? I'd throw some fruit out there. Okay. 
That dude loves cherries. cherries yeah. Strawberry. Orange. Yeah. Strawberry. Bananas. Mmm. Sounds like breakfast. Welcome to the program. Happy uh, first of uh, April. April one, we like to call it here on the show. We do. Yeah. Okay. We need more memos going out. This is my third April one show here at BYU Broadcasting. Uh, take a note, James. Okay. Uh, th- uh, th- therefore, hitherto, whereas, whereas, I decree for one. You decree for one. Or are you doing this on your tablet? Yeah. Okay. My your slate board. tablet. Yeah, my slate. That's a great thing. His mini chalkboard. I decree uh, four one one five. The day of joviality and jocularity. The day of trickery and pac-manery. How do you spell pac-manery? Uh, Google it. <laughs> Come on. Consult S- the book of knowledge. Go ahead. Sincerely, Your Excellency. The Duke. Of Matt Ch- Townsend. Okay. The Duke. Not your supreme high potentate? I used to. That's what I used to say. Okay. Then, uh, the Duke is more. I got succinct. sued by the yeah. Vatican. Gotcha. <laughs> it's so rude. Anyway, uh, happy April Fool's Day. I want that note transcribed. Okay. And sent out as a decree. Okay. To all the minions under my power. Via scroll? Yes. <laughs> With a minstrel. I want a minstrel to carry it out and sing it out to everyone. That will be all. In all the local taverns. And- <laughs> that was just an April Fool's joke that we just made up right there. Not necessarily funny, but very April Fool'sy. It entertained you. For easily three minutes. Absolutely. Now we only have two more hours to go. <laughs> What do we got in the news? Is there any real news today? Oh, there's all kinds of real news. What? We talked earlier about uh, Indiana. Yeah. They're going to reassess their uh, religious freedoms law. They want to reword it so that it's more clear. Because apparently works. people didn't quite understand that it's not about <laughs> discrimination. It's about religion. What if they but came out and they said, April Fools. They we were could. kidding. We're kidding. Arkansas, overnight their legislature. Yes. Arkansas, they're trying it. They, they passed their own religious freedoms not law. Now it's on the desk of their governor and he can sign it. Hmm. Uh, Walmart has come out and said, don't. We I would just say, let's, bad idea. I wouldn't sign anything on today's date. Today would probably be a bad idea. I mean, to I make signed any, my decree, but I wouldn't yeah. sign anything else. Uh, a Walkertown, Indiana pizza shop is the state's first business to declare it will discriminate against gays after the Religious Freedoms <laughs> Restoration Act was signed into law last week. If a gay couple came in and wanted us to provide pizzas for their wedding, we would have to say no, said the owner of the company. What What if they don't want it for their wedding? It says we are Christian. We are a Christian establishment. However, gay couples like those uh, and, and like those of other faiths are welcome to patronize our establishment on non-matrimonial occasions, just specifically <sighs> for a wedding. How often do, do you see pizza at weddings when you... Not often. Okay. So, what if you're... What if you're uh, a same-sex couple, and you just want pizza for a bar mitzvah. Well, like you said there, non-matrimonial Okay, so occasions. you can do it for that. Yeah. yeah. But if you say it's a wedding, we're not going to help you. Anniversary, for sure. 
USC Athletic Director Pat Hayden tweeted on Tuesday that he will not attend a college football playoff committee meeting in Indianapolis this week hmm. due to the Senate bill. He, uh, he sits on the uh, committee as a, one of 13 committee members responsible for developing the weekly college football playoff rankings that were introduced last season. See, this is all so about— he's not going to go. And this is the struggle that you, you're dealing with. It's about accommodation. So should the pizza owner's store be able to vote with its conscience that it doesn't have to be a part of that, of something they don't believe in? That's their right of conscience. And the same-sex couple or LGBT couple or LGBT needs should also be able to not be discriminated against because of that. That is the issue that has to be solved here. We just need to grab some pizza from this dude. Yeah. Pull probably, everyone in the same room. It's probably good pizza. Have a meeting. Yeah. I would probably follow the model that they did in Utah, which not only gave religious rights, but also gave LGBT the same rights. The legislation in Utah did not address businesses and what they can do that way. They just simply no. – talked about but hiring did, and housing yeah. i believe right exactly they so that, stayed away from that that's on purpose the sticky third rail <laughs> but the principle behind it is yes the principle got, could work it can work but you have to do it mutually you can't do it in a one-sided way because now ding dong the witch is dead let's discriminate says the pizza company also surrounding the ncaa final four which will be in indianapolis this weekend is uh, a bunch of meetings for basketball coaches they all show up. They have meetings. They talk about rules yeah. and, and, and about their industry. It's a big networking opportunity. That's where people yeah. get a lot of jobs, that kind of thing. University of Connecticut men's basketball coaches will not attend because of this legislation. Yeah. So, Well, I, would, I wouldn't attend decisions. just because I'd want to go on spring break or something. Uh, Hillary Clinton summoned to a private GOP chat, as it's being characterized, about her emails. Oh, really? A private yeah. GOP chat on— With the head of the committee, the Senate, the, the House Select Committee on Benghazi. The head uh-huh. of that is da- uh, Representative uh, Trey Gowdy. Uh-huh. And I love Trey. Would, he would like to uh, <laughs> to speak with her privately and discuss what was or was not He's on a feisty, server. yeah. That's cool. So there's that. You think she'll go? Um, I'm going to bet not. She doesn't have to. I'm going to bet. But I, I think it would look bad if she didn't. I think it's just going to be Trey and Hillary— out for dinner on the town. <laughs> April Fools. That's April Fools. Now this isn't an April Fools. This is legit. Okay. A Russia Russia and the US may not be on the best of terms, but suggesting nuclear weapons use on a national park seems a bit extreme. Konstantin Sekoyev, president of Moscow-based Academy of Geopolitical Problems, wrote in an article that if you detonate a nuclear weapon in Yellowstone National Park or in the San Andreas Vault, yeah. You you could possibly wipe out the entire United States. And that could be good for Who the said Soviet. That? A Russian uh I just gave you his name, president of the Moscow based Academy for Geopolitical Problems. Yeah, what's his name? I'm not gonna say his name again. I, I, I didn't say it right the first time. It doesn't matter who he is. I, well, it does on April Fool's Day. But he's saying you if you blow a, a blow up a, a nuclear bomb near Yellowstone or on you the could light off, fault. you could light off the humongous uh there's a, a huge volcano. Yeah. That's under Yellowstone. It could take out half the Western Hemisphere if it really goes off there. Right. And if you t- if you hit the San Andreas Vault, you could take out a good chunk of the United States. You know, that th- He's that's also the guy that said you drop a bomb off the coast of the United States, you could cause a tsunami that could wipe out much of the country too. So, he's just putting out suggestions. <laughs> 
Well, that guy needs he needs a he needs a hobby. He goes. This would be an ideal response to NATO uh, and the way they're gaining strength in the areas surrounding Russia. Holy cow! Because they're a little freaked out about us moving weapons into certain countries. Now I bet everyone in Wyoming's like, or in uh, up in Yellowstone. Well, Wyoming, like, Utah, well, they're uh, like oh, Western great. United States. Yeah. yeah. Well, but honestly, that's where the environmentalists need to get mad. Do you know how many animals and trees would be wasted if they dropped a nuclear weapon up there? Absolutely. Come on. Environmentalists unite. Not to mention about 70% of the country. Yeah. Good stuff. Folks, we're going to take a break. Here is an interesting study. We're going to come back uh, with Dr. Daria Zabalina. She has, has done some pretty interesting research on distractions. Did you know that if you're highly distracted and more easily distracted, you might be more creative. Creative geniuses tend to have a common trait, which is distractibility. We're going to get into that. So if you're easily distracted, my friends, hey, don't give up. You might not just be someone with ADD. You might also be somebody with a genius streak in you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be talking about it after this break right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Do you remember the Disney movie Up? On that movie, there was a dog named Doug. (laughs) Do you remember how he was always distracted by squirrels? Well, that dog was probably a creative genius. You'll notice that he never actually caught a squirrel, but uh, recent research conducted by Dr. Daria Zabalina from Northwestern University shows that uh, distractions actually uh, help, I guess, creative geniuses. And it might even be a sign. This easily distracted mind might parallel the uh, and increase your ability to be more creative. Uh, now, again, it might not actually help you get a lot of stuff done all the time, but uh, those distractions, but it will possibly help you understand a connection between distractibility and creative genius. Dr. Zabalina, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You bet. It's so great to have you. And to this information, to me, I love it. I'm easily distracted, not a genius. Uh, (laughs) But I I do find myself to be fairly creative. And I've always felt, because I've kind of bounced all over the place with my thinking, I've always been able – I've always kind of felt like it did enhance some creativity. And I guess that's something your study might be showing. Yes, exactly. So um, we do find that people who um, have more real-world creative achievements, so people who actually not just say they're creative, but yeah. actually who show that they have real-world creative achievements, that they're not um, – uh, we didn't necessarily study creati- uh, or um, distractibility. We studied sensitivity, hmm. so how sensitive um, people are, how um, – how much sensor information they process, so which can lead to distractibility. Actually. Yeah, so it's really sensitivity, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a fascinating area of study that, that I've actually focused on a little bit as well. And so sensitivity is just they're more open to external stimuli and 
they pick up more. So because they're picking up more, they're probably more regularly distracted by it. Exactly, exactly. So more information is coming in, and some people may, um, their nervous system may, uh, it may be taxing to the nervous system. So um, uh, it may lead to distractibility. Hmm. Yes. That's, uh, I mean, it's interesting, I mean, which is weird because we sit there and we, we sometimes focus on these children that we think have ADD or ADHD, but it possibly might be they, they have high sensitivity and it might even be a, a, a great ability that will help them creatively eventually. Exactly. So it might not be necessarily to prescribe Ritalin right. or other, other medications. Um, uh, we might, might be able to find some other ways to actually enhance their creativity but also help them with their distractibility. Hmm. Talk us through your study. How did you? How do you go about doing the study, and then give us some of your findings? Sure. Uh, so we uh, had eighty-four participants in our study, so it was a large sample size. Uh, we uh, our participants first um, performed two creativity measures. So we first assessed how creative they are, and these two creativity measures were um, the first one was a laboratory test of creative thinking, hmm. uh, which is called divergent thinking. Um, it's a standard way of measuring creativity or creative thinking in the laboratory. So um, this test um, is about two or three minutes, and people are asked questions such as, name as many creative uses for a brick as you can, for example. <laughs> All right. So uh, some people may say, um, oh, y- y- you can make a building uh, or, or use it as a doorstop. So that's not necessarily creative. Yeah. But somebody uh, then may say, um, well, you can carve it out and make a vase out of it or something that's a little more, uh, more original. Sure. So then we score these for um, how many uses people named, but also how original or novel they, are, they were hmm. um, based on, on norms from thousands and thousands of people. Okay, and so then the divergent thinking score was a combination of the how many uses people named and also how original they were. And, and then okay. that basic that was the first test. That was the first test of creativity. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then you and gave them another test. And then we gave them another questionnaire. We asked um, not uh, we didn't ask them to perform anything in the laboratory, but we just asked them um, what type um, of creative achievements do you have. Um, in the real world, what, what, uh, in, within several creative domains, within 10 creative domains, actually. So not, ju- not just artistic, but scientific huh. creativity as well. So it's kind of like prove it, right? So, right, so exactly. prove you're actually creative. What have you created? Exactly. Oh, that's great. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so, now, so then we kind of knew that these people, they, they tend to be more creative. They're higher on the scale of divergent mm-hmm. thinking. They're actually getting stuff accomplished. And then you ran another test with them. Right, and then we assessed their what we call sensory gating, uh, or how much sensory information they're processing, how much in- sensory information is leaking into their brain, hmm. okay, so how much information their brain processes. So we did that, uh, we used EEG methodology, we put that with children people's heads, yeah. and then we had them listen to, um, uh, to clicks or to, to noise, noise, noises or, or beeps. Yeah. Uh, so people heard um, a couple of clicks at a time, so it sounded something like click, 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 click. Um, 
And then we measured participants' response, their brain response, their physiological response to these clicks. And what typically happens is people will have a stronger response to the first click, uh, but then attenuated response to the second click because the clicks are exactly the same. They sound exactly the same. Mm. They're, very, they're separated very um, they're not separated very much. They occur very closely together. Okay, so separated just 500 milliseconds. So typically, the, a typical brain says, oh, I need to pay attention to the first click. Something important is happening. But then it says, oh, um, the second click comes, and the brain says, oh, I just heard something exactly <laughs> like this. Boring. I don't need to pay as much. At the, right. Yeah. Right. So, um, right. And so then um, we looked at how, whether people who scored high on real-world creativity or laboratory creativity, how they performed on this test. Because if you're a more sensitive person mm-hmm. and sensory gating, I guess, is it higher? If, if, you're, if you have high sensitivity, your sensory gating is higher? Your sensory gating is lower. Lower, because you, you uh, leak. Right. So you, <laughs> what we call leaky sensory yeah. gating. So right. more information is leaking in. People are paying more attention to their their brain is paying more attention to uh, to the information to sensory information and and that's I think super important to this whole discussion right because yes. somebody that's a high sensitive they they actually it's not that they're hearing more per se <laughs> but their brain is doing a lot a lot more work exactly and that's actually yes that is uh, a very important point um, also because we looked at only uh, the, the the timing that we looked at was only 15 milliseconds after the start of the click. So it's not like people were able to decide whether to pay attention yeah. to or not. It's 15 milliseconds after we see or hear something is so early that it's we cannot consciously decide whether to pay attention to it or not. See, this okay, is... So it, it, to me, really, yeah, you're not like saying focus, be disciplined. Right. Some people's exactly. brains just naturally pick up yeah. more data. They kind of jump. They're a little more reactive. But and, I mean, I even see it in my own business when I work with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I can hear my fan blowing. I can hear the air conditioner on. I can feel the mm-hmm. temperature changing, and my I my senses are picking up on everything visually. Mm-hmm. If I see a car pass, I notice stuff. I know when my next client's here just by hearing doors open and close. And so, so in a weird world for me, all of that sensory data is being picked up. And in your study, you're finding that that might make me more distracted. Which it might make you more distracted, but exactly what we find is that um, people with real-world creative achievements, they had leakier sensory gating. They paid more, their brain paid more attention to that second click. That's awesome. Uh, compared to the first click. So they were more sensitive to the sensory information that was coming in to coming in oh, i mean it, honestly again and a lot of people probably don't get what we're even talking about <laughs> but as somebody that i am a high sensitive and i know that and i don't know if you've ever heard of elaine aaron are you familiar with her oh, work yes very much so and so for me it's been a life-changing kind of concept to know that because one of the things I believe, too, is if you're a high-sensitive person or if you leak sensory gating, if you're leaking and you're, un, and you're more distracted, I guess, or, yeah. and you're picking up more information, um, 
it would probably lead people to be more stressed because your body has to deal with all this extra information. So it might create more tensions in you. And then what you found, which is a groundbreaking kind of discovery, I think, is that if you are a high sensitive, there's a correlation, at least in your study, to creativity. Yes. That's a, that's exactly what we find to real world creativity. So yeah. again, not just people saying, "I'm creative." Uh, yeah. Oh, I think I think I'm creative, but actually they they had something to show for it. Um, but also, interestingly, we found that there was um, a correlation, but in the opposite direction. So a negative correlation between how people performed on the laboratory test of creativity, that divergent thinking test. Uh huh. Uh, there was a negative correlation between divergent thinking and um, this leaky sensory gating. So people who performed well on the laboratory test, they had more selective sensory gating. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and but, we, we, we think we understand why that happened. Let's do this. Let's come back and continue sure. talking about it. Um, again, folks, this seems like kind of a, a weird – a discussion for anybody out there that's not maybe involved in high sensitivity. But if you know somebody that hates loud noises, that they like the room darker, they um, they are a little more jumpy, maybe they suffer a little anxiety, uh, you know, crowds overwhelm them. These are people that are probably more high sensitives. And you might even see a correlation between these types of people and creativity, which interestingly, I bet we'll be able to even you know, extract or, you know, guess that these people might be more of our, uh, you know, the, the creators of content in the world, movies, TV. Anyway, fascinating, fascinating stuff. We'll take a break. Back more here with Daria Zabalina and uh, this correlation between being distracted and being sensitive to information and being a creative genius. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your uh, your coach, your life coach. On the phone with us is a, a researcher, Dr. Daria Zavalina from Northwestern University, who recently just did a study that shows that uh, people with real-world creativity, meaning people that uh, actually are out there producing real creative results in their life. Visual doesn't have to just be artistic, by the way. Don't ever just think it's artistic. It could be a business person who creatively goes about managing their business and creating more sales or whatever. So um, those creative people also have now been – there's a correlation between their creativity and – being um, a, a highly sensitive person or a more sensitive to stimulation uh, in their in their environment. And uh, so we want to bring her back on. Daria, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to have you. What, um, talk about what this means and where you're going to kind of continue taking this research. Uh, sure. So... What this means is that um, 
people who are very sensitive that they might have, um, as many of them know, um, they do see the world maybe a little bit differently. They're more sensitive to the world. Um, their experiences might be more rich, um, more, more meaningful. Uh, but at the same time, so it's like a double-edged sword. Um, they're more creative, more, 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 uh, their life may be uh, more rich, but then at the same time, um, they, this sensitivity could lead to distractibility, it could lead to um, their, their nervous system might be taxed a little more than, than people who have less sensitivity. Um, so then the next step is to help maximize um, the creative potential of people who are very sensitive, uh, whether with some type of attention training or there's um, the idea of maybe um, doing some m mindfulness training. Um, that's oh. popular right now. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it's a big industry right now. Yes. Well, and also just why I think uh, for the listeners that this is so important. I mean, most people aren't into a lot of studies like you are, Daria. Most of us aren't that smart. And so but what's cool about this is this whole idea of high sensitivity is a relatively new concept. You know, we used to just think that people were, you know, skittish or anxious or uh, dramatic or all of these other things. And what we're finding out is it might simply be. They just pick up a lot more information. And if they're picking up more information than maybe most, like with your little click test, if they're just automatically their brain picks up so much more information, they have to process it. And so these people, their processors might get bogged down a little bit. And so others believe that's what what is the output of anxiety is somebody that's a high sensitive that has too much stimuli and they can't process it as well. So it, it ends up being acted out as as anxiety. So in a way, this this could be really powerful too because it seems like you're going to be able to create and maybe channel even more creativity and maybe create more hope for some of these kids that we we look at in the classroom and we're like control yourself, focus, you little ADD boy, but really it might be a high sensitive boy with um creative potentiality or potential and we could start to harness it and teach that person how to manage their own stimulation so they're not overstimulated. Yes, yes, absolutely. Very good points. And um, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to look at kids and, and say, how, um, how can we help this person to maximize their, uh, well, creative potential in our case? Yeah. And if, if the child is distractible, we can help them. Um, Again, just the sensitivity on its own is not a marker that people will yeah, be creative. produce something. I mean, they might be creative. Their, their thoughts, their internal environment may be uh -huh. uh, interesting and creative, but we do need to find ways to harness or to, um, to, to teach people to, how, how to, um, to help themselves, really. Well, you, I could almost see that if somebody that's too sensitive also at times might not produce real-world results simply because they might get more overwhelmed, they might overthink it, they might overplan it. Yes, exactly. So a good supportive uh, environment 
uh, is really important, yeah. whether it's parents or, or just, just a basic understanding is um, what we're doing at this moment. Just Absolutely. basic understanding that, this, that there is a relationship between sensitivity and creativity. Well, I love it, and I, I appreciate the fact that you're working on it. That's one of the reasons I wanted to get it out there, because it, I think it is a very cutting-edge study, and uh, I think it is also directly related to a lot of happiness and a lot of just uh, people being able to magnify their own gifts and their abilities. So, Daria Zabalina, we so appreciate you. Keep up the great work there at Northwestern University, and... Um, and keep posting stuff. Keep putting stuff out there. We'll have you back on. Daria Zabalina, we appreciate it. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, I'm going to get into a little bit deeper take on this high sensitivity. And, and if you have somebody in your life that you think is a high sensitive, listen up. If you have somebody that's easily offended, that uh, you know, that tends to think a lot, ruminate maybe, maybe can't let certain things go, Stick with us, folks. When we come back, we're going to do the Coach's Corner, and I'm going to give you a little rundown on how to know if you're a high sensitive and what it means. And by the way, if you're not, it doesn't mean you're an insensitive. Remember, we're not talking about your your goodness, your caring. We're talking about your brain's receptivity to information. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Now, earlier we had Daria Zabalina on and her research around highly sensitive people. And a lot of us in this world either are highly sensitive or we are married to one. We might be related to one. And the sensitivity is it's an it's a really important subject. And again, it doesn't mean you're sensitive, you're so nice, you oh, you so understand me. That's not what we're talking about here. Do you remember in her study, the basic idea, and it's sometimes hard to come present a study because Daria's, you know, 20 feet deep into the study, um, and I'm just skimming on the surface. But here's basically the gist of it. There is a certain percentage of the population, about 20%, that they believe, that researchers believe, have a heightened sense of sensitivity. They probably have evolved this ability over the many, many years because uh, th- it, was, it was a trait that would actually protect the herd, right? It would, it, uh, a highly sensitive gazelle would notice the rustling in the, in the brush and would start to move away from those noisy sounds that were being made by a mountain lion. So these sensitive animals would pick up information. They might know how to move the herd sooner. They might start to react to certain threatening events earlier. And so they became a very powerful tool in, in kind of a social setting, the high sensitive. Now, others don't necessarily pick up so much information. They might uh, – they, they, they're not as impacted by the wind or – uh, other animals may not be as impacted by it. And so that that other animal might be, um, you know, they might be maybe a better fighter. Maybe they're, they're stronger and they're not as impacted by what they're feeling or what they're noticing. 
And that was another benefit because then they could go, you know, fight or they could go lead the herd and everyone, all the other animals would follow that, that other animal. So why it's important is in our world today, about 20%, they believe, of, of people might be more high sensitive, meaning they're going to pick up this information and their bodies need to deal with it. So if you – let me give you some, some ideas of what a high sensitive is and you just think if you've got it or if somebody in your life – might be this way, okay? And it's amazing whenever I do this with clients or at speeches or workshops, it's amazing how many people are impacted by this. For example, do you do do you notice sounds? Do loud sounds impact you more than maybe those around you? Do you hate going to movie theaters because of the noise? They're too loud or an ambulance passing by uh, with its siren going full blast, does that really kind of rattle you? Do certain smells impact you? You know, certain just smells. Oh, you can hear it. You can smell it first. You sense it first. You react to it early. I remember as a kid, I'd walk to school, and if I smelled any doggy doo-doo, I would be impacted for hours. <laughs> like, it would just set me off. And my friends are like, man, relax, dude, relax. But that was just my olfactory system, more sensitive. Some people are more visually sensitive. So they're to light. Light impacts them a lot. Uh, some people, they're so moved so quickly. The minute they wake up, they want to get those blinds open and get a lot of light in. And that stimulates them. And some don't. Some try to turn or shut the blinds and keep it dark. Highly sensitive people tend to, um, they notice the room temperatures when they change. Highly sensitive people notice things that are out of position or off of out of where they're supposed to be. They notice very quickly someone else rolling their eyes or they can tell when somebody really doesn't want to do something. So a lot of times as a highly sensitive, you feel like you know what other people are thinking before they say anything. Now, it doesn't mean you're a witch. It just simply means you're picking up more data. So a lot of people imagine if I just took a person that wasn't more sensitive to sound and light and temperature and noise and interruption, and I just took that person and put them next to somebody that is, do you see that how in a school class, one person might have an advantage over another? There's a certain advantage if all the light, the information, and those are just the subtle cues. Um. It might simply be a clock ticking. I told you a couple of weeks ago, we, my wife bought a brand new clock for our bathroom, like a nice, like, you know, regular kind of clock that actually has the mechanism in there and it's ticking and ticking. And we put it up in our bedroom and I didn't sleep that night because I could hear the ticking of the clock. Tick, tick, tick. And my wife slept fine. It drove me batty. And so... Is that just, I've got great hearing? Well, actually, no, because I don't have great hearing. But my ear, my, my senses are pretty, I'm, I'm very sensitive to that. Now, here's one of the dilemmas. If I have all of this information coming in and I, my processor isn't dramatically bigger than everyone else's processor, then I have two or three times more information that I need to process. So what will that do to me? It tends to wear me out. So if you're a high sensitive, you might be worn out a little bit more by all of this information, by all of the stimulation. Now, there's a huge benefit for me because I can handle, you know, improving for three hours on a radio show 
and I can let all of this information come in and play with it and roll with it, and I can read what's going on and know what I need to do. And I still need to end up processing and being exhausted because of that. Now, why this is all important is um, stimulation is normal, and what this latest research is showing is that people that tend to be more sensitive to information, the high sensitives, there is now a correlation they're finding between that sensitivity and real-world creativity. Real-world creativity, getting results in a creative way, and that doesn't – remember, that doesn't have to mean you go make music. It doesn't mean you have to be a star and famous and all of that. But it does mean that you might be more creative in your workplace. So if you have this going on, it's good to know because one of the big keys to the whole thing is you also need to then know how to manage your stimulation. So I know that I can't go all day the way I do on the radio for three hours. So a lot of times when I'm done with the show, I've still got to go you know, help produce the tomorrow's show and learn, and, and I've got a lot of stuff I've got to read and study, and yet uh, I'm exhausted. And it makes no sense. You just woke up. It's only been four hours since I've been up. What's the big deal? Part of it is all the processing. So if you're married to somebody like this, this might be the person that does not want to go out at night because they've spent all day being overstimulated. And the last thing they need is a dinner party where they have to go talk to 12 people they don't know. So those people might be more withdrawn. They might want to pull away. A lot of people believe these people might be more introverted, but the research doesn't show that. You could be an extroverted, highly sensitive person. I'm fairly extroverted, and I'm highly sensitive, and it exhausts me. So I just need to always find moments where I can kind of destimulate a little bit and turn off some of the switches. One time that I do that in my life is just my commute. I have about a 30-minute commute. And um, to, for me to come here in the morning, I have a 30-minute commute. And for me to go home after the show, I have about a 30-minute commute till I get to my next office. In that time, I try not to always turn on the radio. I try not to overstimulate. I try not to overwhelm myself. I am driving. That's why I'm speeding, by the way. But um, in the end, it's stimulation. And when you think about it, if you walk into a, up to a baby that's just a tiny little baby and you start shaking a rattle in front of its face – and you make too much noise for that baby too quickly, that baby's going to cry. And why is it crying? Is it because it's scared? Probably not. It probably doesn't know it should be afraid here. It just is overstimulated. So when babies are overstimulated, they cry. What does an adult do that's overstimulated? They might cry. Some just walk away and ignore you. (laughs) Some go into their hole and they never talk to you. So a lot of marriage problems, a lot of relationship issues might come down to the fact that some people are overstimulated. And if they are, guess what? Good to know. Now we've got to figure out how to deal with it. One other side that's really important to understand about this high sensitivity is simply the idea that um, high sensitives, they don't usually let go of stuff very well. They are constantly thinking. They constantly just keep kind of uh, recirculating the information that they've been working on. So if if somebody has been offended, so if you say something rude to a high sensitive, they might be more impacted by what you said because of your tone, because of the eyes that your eyes when you squinted, because of how you pointed, and they picked up four times more information by you just saying that. 
So then they have to go process more. So they might hang on to stuff longer. And that might be some of the research here is showing that might be one of the reasons why we we might have some more creative possibilities in us because we didn't just experience something and let it go. A lot of times we hold on to it and we can use that information later. Now, here's why I bring this up, too. I personally believe that some of the most creative people you've ever heard of, uh, a la Robin Williams, um, I, be, I think he was a high sensitive. And I think that's why he could go off like he did. I mean, we would just, nah, he's ADD, whatever. But yeah, I bet you bucks he was picking up 10 times more information than the average person in the room. And when he's picking up that much information, he has to process it. And if you notice, there's a lot of movie stars, a lot of kind of creative folks that I think are probably high sensitive. And notice, if we don't learn these coping skills, and if our kids don't learn the coping skills, if they are high sensitive, then guess what's going to happen to us? I think in the end, what you might run into is these people might be more prone to go medicate, to go try to do anything they can to turn off their brain, their mind, and things like that. For example, Charles Darwin, Goethe, Proust, all of these people, they were high sensitives. Kafka, Anton Chekhov, high sensitives. I think some of these movie stars that end up uh, overdosing, getting too much into drugs, I think a lot of the use of drugs is a way for a high sensitive to try to turn off all the stimulation. So if we're not careful, folks, we just... We might not want to keep medicating high sensitives. By the way, highly sensitive people are also more sensitive to chemistry, caffeine, you know, nicotine, other chemicals. Anyway, food for thought. But if you've got somebody that you're struggling with that just seems to try to always avoid you and they always seem to be offended and they always seem to be a little more down or not, not even down but sometimes up, Don't just assume they're crazy and rude and they don't care. Maybe they're a high sensitive and they're trying to deal with this crazy world around us. And even a child placed in a simple little environment where they need to go learn and work and figure out, you know, what's going on in life, it it might be hard. So if, if you're into that situation, let me give you two resources I'd go look for. One is a book by a woman named Elaine Aaron, A R O N. We've had her on the show uh, before, so you can go back if you want to, look up our podcasts, and you can go find our interview with Elaine Aaron. It was, it was a few uh, – it was about a year and a half ago, two years ago maybe. Uh, Elaine Aaron, and just a fantastic resource. It's called The Highly Sensitive Person. She's really kind of one of the leading thought leaders in the field of high sensitivity. Go check that out. And if you have a child, if you, by the way, are a high sensitive or your mother was a high sensitive, there's a pretty good chance that one of your children will also be a high sensitive. So if you see a child that's struggling, that might be overwhelmed by life or school, that might be bored more easily, that also might be more distracted, there's a, I bet you there's a pretty good chance that uh, they're a high sensitive. And I would just go simply start looking for blogs on highly sensitive children. There's a lot of great resources out there, wonderful blogs on how to parent a child that's a little more sensitive. One reason is because if you come off too harsh, they're going to pick it up like immediately. And if you come off too soft, they're going to pick it up. They're going to know you better than you even know yourself in many ways for how you're parenting. So anyway, powerful, powerful tool. 
Uh, again, we don't. It, it's not to distinguish us and make us better. A highly sensitive person is not a better person. Honestly, the trait's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's just what it is. But if you were if you've been growing up as a high sensitive, you might think you're going crazy because everything seems to affect you. And then you blow up and you cry like a baby, or you don't always have to cry, but you get mad fast, or you withdraw a lot. One of my rules in my life is I try to go. I try to go do everything with the ability to leave when I need to. I try to go to every activity, every event. My wife wants to go to every party. I'll try it. But I may need to leave when I can't take it. Or I might just go to my phone. And I can sometimes go to my phone and destimulate a little bit. Anyway, a little food for thought, my friends. Again, highly sensitive people. Who'd have thunk? Also, if you know somebody that has this, send them a, a link to our website and our podcasts. You can get them anywhere, iTunes, anywhere. Go check them out. Send them a link to this. might help them out. We'll take a break. Come back with our third hour of the Matt Townsend Show after this. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's April 1st. Top of the April 1st day to you. James is doing his jig. And Terry seems angry. He's a grimace. Well, I have a grimace. Grimacing. You're not grimacing. No. It's April 1st day. It's been a wonderful day so far. Can you tell? Yes, you seem so different. <laughs> you are amazingly different. This has been a great day. Found out uh, that Pac-Man is slowly eating... Productivity. ...its way through productivity yes. in corporations. That's so true. It's fun. You open up you open up Google Maps, you have the option of playing Pac-Man in the streets of your neighborhood. That is super Or wherever cool. you happen to be working. That's right. Because that's where people do it, is at work. Well, this is like, you know what? This is going to be a great day at work. To play Pac-Man. To play Pac-Man. Yeah. Is it only going to be up today? Um, it was up yesterday, and it's up today. I don't know. I mean, it's, usually Google leaves these things in the background somewhere where you can find them. Okay. So you have to do a search, but then it's there. But they don't leave it as an option uh, right on the front page when you go to Google Maps forever. So it'll and, be up probably in the next couple of days. And if you want more fun as well, you can go to com.google. And if you do that, the entire Google browser is reversed. As if you're looking at it in a mirror. As if you're inside the computer yes. looking out. Yeah. It's mess. It's the matrix. Uh, you're in the matrix. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm doing it right now, and it's actually – it's bad. It's cool because Maps is no longer Maps. It's spam. I love spam. Google spam. Have you had? Have you been on Google spam lately? Fried Google spam. It's oh, good I stuff. I love fried Google El spam. Elgoog spam. Elgoog El spam. El spam. <laughs> yeah, totally good stuff. It's April 1st, friends. Buckle in. We got to play a joke on the guys from BYU Sports Nation. Don't let this out, but let's do something. All right. Let me know. Yeah. Actually, you're the producer. So will you go produce a fun April 1st? Or how about this? The 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 uh, April Fool's 
jokes that not jokes but the the um, items that companies are doing yeah you could read some of those and have them guess whether it's fake or or not april fools or not like this this headline about uh, the ukrainian president challenging vladimir putin to a judo contest to decide yeah. the fate of eastern ukraine yeah that sounds legit no that is legit no it's a april fool but how do you know it is because they said it was they putin the economist they wrote the article no, as no. Okay, don't trust you're that. right well you could do that though some of these are funny that totally sounds like putin's idea you could try that with okay. our our gentleman here's some other ones i found that yeah. are real but they sound like an april fool's joke <clears throat> spanish hospital said monday it has successfully carried out the world's most complex face transplant Ooh. reconstructing the lower face neck mouth tongue and back of the throat of a 45 year old man terribly disfigured by disease this is a true story yes 45 of uh, 45 physicians, 27 hours oper- for the operation happened in early February at uh, Barcelona's uh, Barcelona Hospital. But uh, yeah, they, they, they did a face transplant on basically the, the lower half and, in, you know, of the guy's whole mouth, throat, everything. But see, that face will resemble its donor's face. Maybe. So I mean, their bone structures are different. You're laying skin over the top well, of it. Well, but like, let's say they had a mole. And, okay. So that's just so interesting. That is a big deal. Yeah, face transplants. But, but if you need a face, that's a great thing, right? It's yeah, amazing. If you're if you're in need of a face, they they possibly could help you. And that is not an April Fool's story. Forty runners. Yeah. Attempted an insane 100 mile mountain race. Yeah. Zero finished. <laughs> well, duh. It's a five-loop, 20-mile mountain course. Allows runners 60 hours to complete the race. None made, none finished. All the competitors. Uh, Jamie Corey of Phoenix, Arizona was lost when the 60-hour mark came up. Man. A search party was organized, but was called off when she showed up just before dark, explained she got lost, and then took an eight-hour nap <laughs> on top of a mountain. Only one runner, 30-year-old Joe Kelly, completed more than two loops of the race in 60 hours. Wow. The race was uh, founded by a Gary Cantrell in 1986. In 30 years, only 14 of the approximately 1,100 racers have actually completed the race. So is it really a race if only 14 out of thousands have ever completed it? I, it's a challenge. It's People a race like against time. A it's challenge. a challenge. That's a better way to put it because it's like, hey, come eat our 50-pound hamburger. Mm-hmm. And if you finish it without your gut blowing out, <laughs> you don't have to pay. You win a T-shirt. Right. That's not a race. That's a challenge. It's a challenge. That's these good. are challenges. Yeah, People good. like these, they, they, yeah. they push themselves. They can see if they can achieve new heights. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think the more challenges, the better. If your life is so not challenged that you need to bring yourself a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's the best time of day for you? Mm. They did some uh, a group of researchers. Oh, this is easy. University of right California here, Riverside. Right now, they doing found the, out this show. These three hours. The best time of day universally around the world. Yeah. What, oh, what time is it? Seven p.m. Yeah. You know what? That's true. Bachelor's on. Yes. Yes. It says we feel more or less the same about what we're doing at that time. That's the finding from this study. Uh, 33 worldwide collaborators led by this team of uh, University of California, Riverside, sampling more than 5,400 individuals, 20 countries. They found that people across all these countries um, made highly similar assessments of life mm. at 7 p.m. 
Typical situation at 7 p.m. can be described as largely pleasant social interactions. Lots of people with loved ones making dinner, watching TV, relaxing. Must-see TV. Decompressing from the day around 7 p.m. That's interesting. Universally across the globe. See, that is – isn't that interesting? Universally, there's this time to bring it down. And all across the globe, they don't have – all the technology we have, they don't have no, and it's not CTV. It's not necessarily watching TV yeah, or just, movies. It's you're with loved it's ones, kind of your decompressing. Time. Yeah. yeah, I like that. That's good news. Seven p.m. Is Seven the time. p.m. So schedule it. Schedule it. I our family is we're not always together at seven p.m. We're kind of in three different places usually. Yeah. So that's always more stressful for us. So maybe eight or nine. My my favorite time used to be nine o'clock when the kids would go to bed. They're gone. And we'd put them to bed, a beautiful moment, have a nice family, beautiful moment. Everyone goes to bed. And then my wife and I, we just go s- ignore each other on the couches and watch TV. That's what we do. <laughs> it's pitiful. I found this yesterday very interesting. Investigators say that the ill-fated Costa Concordia cruise ship, mm-hmm. remember that? The one yeah. that tipped over. Tipped over. Was it Italy? Yeah. Off, N- yeah. Wasn't it just off of the coast of Italy? I think it was. It tipped over. And they're in this massive two-year process uh-huh. to tip it back yeah, up, got it cut it into up. pieces, and get it out they of there. They made a whole show on it. Yeah. Um, well, in the investigation for that, they found out that the ship was uh, there was a shipment of cocaine for one of Italy's most famous mafia syndicates aboard the ship. Oh, man. <laughs> they were trafficking drugs. According to the criminal investigation published in La Repubblica, a local paper, members of the criminal organization were uh, tapped or taped saying that the drugs were on the ship. So uh, they they pick people up in a different investigation and they said, yeah, that really cut into our profits when that ship tipped over and all that cocaine was lost. I don't care what you do, but you got to get in that ship. Police officers say the drugs, which were not found, were probably stowed on the boat with the complicity of a crew member, but slipped past senior officers. Uh-huh. So a lower level guy probably got paid off to put it in there. But Interesting. Uh, oh, the tangle. So it had that. nothing to do with why it tipped over. Yeah. But. It was in the hole. They, they, well, they're... that's probably why they had to raise the ship and take it out of there is to get their drugs out of it. Any Go other ship drugs. would have just sat there for decades. So I found that story hilarious. Um, there's a dating site for people who believe in UFOs. Oh, for sure. It says uh, – uh, out. It's, it's called Out to Space. No. What? The Amazing Kristen Supernatural Dating Society. Which helps paranormal enthusiasts find similar-minded companions. The site's 80-year-old founder, the amazing Kriskin, uh, himself spoke to Cosmopolitan about the site, which he says provides users with a way to express themselves and not feel embarrassed, humiliated, or like they're some sort of kook. Because they believe in UFOs. You know what? Thank heavens. There's someone out. There's someone out there for everyone. Well, and this Kriskin sounds like he's from another planet, anyway. Yeah, I think he's a uh, a mentalist. They call it. Well, that's all you need. It's going to read your mind. And what's really cool is they all can go there, and and they go there, and they congregate, and they fall in love there, and then they don't have to be on the other side. It's a safe place. It's a safe. No judgment. And by the way, safe for everyone. Get them out of the general population too. Yeah. See how that works. That's great. None of that was, by the way, none of that. All that's true. That's all true. That's true news right there. Hey, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Britt Brogard, who is a researcher and a professor. And we're going to talk about attachment theory. Basically, how you, you know, how you've been raised as a child tends to impact how you connect and attach to other people. And everybody has a different style of attachment. 
You might be more, you know, kind of more connected, more attached. You might tend to be a little bit more detached. You might have more anxiety about stuff. You might have low anxiety. You might be more avoidant. We're going to get into it. Uh, it's kind of a nice segue from our earlier discussion about high sensitivity. Now we're going to talk about how you attach in. If you have a partner that maybe is not connecting in or a kid, child, friend, this is the time, my friends. Uh, get them to listen or send them a, a link to this segment. We'll be back with Britt Brogard right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we wanted to talk a little bit about attachment style today. And uh, again, you may have heard a therapist throw that word out or all, all we're basically talking about is how you attach or connect to the people in your life. Okay, how you have learned to bond and connect uh, to to the, the relationships that are most important to you. And when I do my relationship coaching, a lot of the couples I see actually are struggling with issues of attachment. And so I wanted to bring in an expert that can kind of walk us through this a little bit and talk about attachment styles and, and just maybe explain it so we can get a little bit of an overview. Dr. Britt Brogard is joining us. She's the professor and a director of the Brogard Lab for Multisensory Research at the University of Miami. And uh, she says that attachment theory is based on the idea that how we bonded with our parents when we were babies impacts our relationships as adults. And that also the, that although we may tend toward a certain style of attachment, that style may actually fluctuate depending on personality changes or our partner or self-regulation. So let's learn more from Britt Brogard. Uh, Dr. Brogard, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much. So honored to have you. By the way, I didn't know uh, that attachment styles adjust a little bit as we get older or depending on who we're interacting with. Yeah, they do. Uh, that was not your initial theory. So initially it was thought that uh, your early attachment style would last uh, all of your life. Uh, but later uh, researchers found out that actually what happens is that your partners in romantic relationships as well as friendships uh, will influence your attachment style as you as you go through the teen years and adult life. So, so yeah, it, it it can it can definitely change a lot. Um, yeah. But of course, there will be some influence from childhood. Explain what explain the different attachment styles and how this kind of works. And and I, so this kind of starts when we're a child, right? We we need to have a safe parent that we can attach and connect to so we can go explore the world yeah so you need you need uh you need the safe environment uh so you need to feel safe in your environment but also have the freedom to explore so there are two ways that that could go wrong right so the parent might be overprotective Mm -hmm. so you feel safe uh, because you're protected but you're not allowed to explore uh, on the other hand, you might not feel safe and just be left to explore on your own without the uh, safety backup. So initially it was thought that if you have an overprotective parent, uh, you will develop a uh, what is called an anxious uh, attachment style. Sometimes that's known as the clingy attachment style or the codependence. And on the other hand, if you were just left to explore without the safety backup, 
then you would become avoidant, uh, and so you would not be more reluctant to attach to people, hmm. develop something like commitment phobia. Yeah. Now, it doesn't quite work that way. So what happens is that either way of messing up your child's life <laughs> basically uh, can lead to either attachment style, depending on how the child copes with us. Uh, so the child will, will cope in some way or other. So the child might seek attention from the absentee parents, and if that works, uh, and attention is, so, so if they're constantly asking the, the parent to, to uh, attend to them or play with them or uh, do something with them, they might actually become anxiously attached even though it was sort of an absentee right. parent. Uh, on the other hand, if what works as a coping me- mechanism is to for the child to detach themselves and sort of find their own ways, they might become avoidant. So, so it's not sort of straightforward. You cannot uh, sort of infer from the fact that you had an absentee parent that you will also become codependent right. or thingy. Uh, but you will develop an insecure, insecure attachment style. In the end, so, we're going to just do it. Humans are going to do whatever we need to do, right? So it's yeah, you know, we don't just follow a model always. We will improvise based yes. on what we need to do to stay alive or survive. That's exactly right. So yeah, so so and this also comes on a on, on a sort of a sliding scale. So uh, just like with with spectrum disorders, this is also spectrum. So. Very few people are exactly in the middle, in the mm. right place, where you're securely attached. So but, most people have a little bit of the anxious, uh, clingy uh, attachment style, and or they have a little bit of the avoidance, mm-hmm. uh, commitment-phobic attachment style on the other end, and some go to the extreme, just sort of depending on not only on their childhood, but also on their relationships and friendships later in life. And you'll see this, right? When we're later in life, when we're dating, when we're married, we might notice, for example, we might not know anything about attachment styles, but we might see that we have a partner that never seems to connect, that never shares their feeling, that might not that might not connect or, or attach into the situation. Or yeah, you might have one exactly. partner that's overly attached and never always has to know everywhere you are, when you're going, when you'll be back. That's exactly right, right? So, yeah, so the, the, the first kind would be the avoidant um, person and the second would be the anxiously attached person. And and that can affect you. So if so, so this is the, the thing that everyone knows that, you know, if one person pushes, the other backs, backs away. Right. So if uh, and and vice versa. So so if you are with someone who is anxiously attached and always want to know where where you are and when you're coming back uh, every second of the day, <laughs> then you 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 might pu- sort of pull back and develop a little bit of an avoidant attachment style. So when you go into your next relationship, you might be slightly more avoidant. Yeah. Um. And so so that's. So that's sort of a pattern that you, you might be you might be fluctuating that way, um, and not have just one attachment style throughout. Yeah, your you're life. kind of, you're more just reacting to your environment. Um, let's do this. We're talking with Dr. Britt Brogard, who's a professor and director of the Brogard Lab for Multisensory Research at the University of Miami. This really is cutting edge theory on attachment style, and um, we're going to take a break. Come back. So you be thinking, do you, do you have a partner that might be showing some of these signs? And are you actually reacting to that partner? Are you maybe disconnecting because they're too anxiously uh, worried about you or vice versa? 
Anyway, interesting stuff about our relationships. Did you ever know that they were this complicated? And yet, this simple, quite honestly. We'll take a break. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you've ever been battling in your relationships, maybe a partner or a friend that doesn't seem to connect in, maybe they don't seem to, you might think they don't care, but whatever you do, they, they're kind of always, I don't know, just fearful maybe. They're always kind of avoiding you, dismissive, unwilling to maybe risk. Maybe some are unwilling to have deeper conversations. You might be dealing with a partner that has an attachment style or one that is constantly hounding you. Where are you? Where have you been? Where are you going? Why are you there? And constantly chasing you. Odds are they might uh, have a little high anxiety attachment style or an anxious attachment style. We're talking with an expert, Dr. Britt Brogard, who is uh, the director of the Brogard Lab for Multisensory Research at the University of Miami. And she's teaching us about attachment theory and how... Uh, one of the neat, uh, I guess, interesting things that that are that's coming out in the research is we used to believe that someone was just born and 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 how they were raised by their parents it would create a, a kind of a, a static tendency, a, a, an attachment style that you would just kind of go with. You'd either be really high anxious, or you'd be high avoidant, or avoidant, or anxious. In the end, what we're finding out is it might simply be that as humans, we're going to adapt our style to the people around us and be a little bit more reactive. So Dr. Britt Brogard's trying to walk us through the learning on attachment. Welcome back, Dr. Brogard. Thanks so much. Talk about um, self-regulation when it comes to this. I mean, I guess at some point then in our, in our relationships, we, we've got to be careful not to just, I guess, become the opposite of what our partner's doing. Yeah, in in some cases, of course, um, you cannot avoid that. Yeah, uh, there are certain certain types of people who probably should not get together. So a very avoidant person and a very anxiously attached person will make a horrible a, couple. A very codependent, possibly. <laughs> yes. Couple. Uh, and you might be you might be fine if you are two anxiously attached people, except you probably uh, <laughs> will never leave. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, you can also have two avoidant people who live in different continents and only see each other a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, never know each other. <laughs> and that might work as well. Uh, but yes, uh, I mean, so most of us are not that extreme, though. So most of us are just a little bit anxiously attached or a little bit uh, avoidant. And, and that's the kind of case where you fluctuate the most. And that's uh, when you can regulate. You can regulate your uh, emotions. So obviously emotions are involved in this. Now, this is easier if you are anxiously attached because what happens when you're anxiously attached is that you're actually in touch with your emotions. Hmm. So Yeah, you're feeling a, them, right? You're, you're engaged in the emotion as you're, as you're experiencing it. Yeah, exactly. So in that case, you, you actually have some control over your emotions. If you're... Very avoidant, on the other hand. So if you're 
um, if you don't like to be around people, especially not your your partner, you don't like to commit, uh, you're not in touch with the emotions. But studies actually show if you look at that little fear processing center in the brain, which is also known as the amygdala, uh-huh. the little almond-shaped thing on the side of the head, and if you look at that little thing and measure um, fear responses, fear processing, the avoidant people, so the ones that would be commitment phobic, actually have more fear processing going on in the amygdala. Huh. But they are, but there's a disconnect between that and the area in the front of the head, the, pre- the prefrontal cortex that interprets the emotions. So, so they're not feeling that fear processing. Um, so they, so that's a lot harder because they don't, they would deny having any fears. I mean, they, they, yeah. they might not deny being commitment phobic, but they won't be feeling it as an emotion. Yeah. And so that would be a little bit uh, harder to regulate. That would sort of take some serious conscious control and, and, and knowledge of the facts. Right. Uh, to, to regulate this. We're um, talking with Dr. Britt Brogard um, from the University of Miami and the uh, Brogard Lab for Multisensory Research. What's amazing, doctor, is that people even get together. Like, because really, it's kind of a, it's it's almost like just a, a mixed salad that you don't know what you're going to get. And when you're first in love, it's just cute that she's so attached. It's just cute that she can't live without you. It's just yeah, exactly. darling. But then eventually, yeah, exactly. it just sucks the life out of you. That, that, that's exactly right. Uh, so, so you idealize your partners at the beginning of the relationship. And, and that's the sort of the, the paradox of romantic love is that you... Well, you find those behaviors endearing. Uh, you also, even if you're slightly avoidant, you might feel slightly anxious because you don't know where it's going. It's unpredictable. And that's what fuels the the infatuation right. and also the beginning phases of romantic love. But what you really want at that point is something more stable. Uh, but once it becomes more stable, that's when you're no longer idealizing. And so you're not really fueling those chemicals that are needed to feel that kind of being in love mm. anymore. So so that's the point where you get bored and actually want to move on. Uh, so when you, are, when you are where you want to be, you want to be somewhere else. But then <laughs> when you get to that somewhere else place, uh, you, you get bored and you yeah. want to move on. So uh, that's love. Sort of the paradox of... Isn't love beautiful? I mean, <laughs> you're just constantly dancing. And and then, interestingly, this attachment style is one of the number one things I work with isn't the diagnosis of it, but it's learning the skills of still being able to talk and resolve conflict because these styles tend to perpetuate really ineffective communication patterns and behaviors, pursuer, withdrawer, demand, withdrawer uh, behaviors. Do, is that something that you're learning in your lab? Are you learning a little bit more about some of the regulation of this and and maybe yeah. the, the connecting into emotion for those that are avoidant yeah yeah definitely i mean so so what happens is that the the avoidant person is uh usually very um closed up so they are unwilling to share their thoughts and emotions and will share the kind of information you might read on their facebook page anyway <laughs> uh yeah. and and uh and then if the other person is anxiously attached, they will be afraid of pushing the other person away, so they are not going to uh, communicate with the other person about something other than those surface mm-hmm. features. So, so it's kind yeah, of shallow. So yeah. yeah. So there's 
uh, there's virtually no communication that could not just take place on their Facebook page. Uh, and and so that's definitely the wrong way to proceed if if you really want this relationship to work. So you need to, um, if you're anxiously attached, you, you need to not be afraid to ask those questions. Hmm. If the other person is not responsive to that, then maybe, uh, well, there's, there are various things you can do, of, of course, but if in the long run the person is not responsive to that, then maybe the relationship is not going to work out. What, um, what so should we do them. in the end, doctor, when it comes to attachment? So if I'm noticing these trends, I'm noticing that we're doing this little dance, I want more, than, and they're pulling away, and what would you suggest? What's your advice for how we, we go forward with figuring out our styles and, and, and deciding if we should be together? Well, it's so these are very different questions. So you you do really have to have a heart-to-heart conversation about uh your your personality features and your attachment style and sort of find some middle ground. Right? So yeah. the uh, anxiously attached person is checking up on the other person constantly. Um maybe you can find some middle ground where Okay, I promise you, you know, I, if I'm out later than midnight, I'll let you know in advance, but don't send me 15 text messages asking <laughs> where I'm where I'm at. Right. Um so so you might find some middle grounds. Uh so that so that would be uh, the way to to go about it and if that communication or conversation cannot take place um it, after several tries, then perhaps the relationship is not going to work out. Um, the, so, so how are you going to find out about your own attachment style? So that can sometimes be, be difficult as well because you might not actually be fully honest to yourself about what your attachment style is. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, I, I have people that we are research participants who, uh, fill out these, uh, these different batteries. So these are basically questionnaires about their attachment style and they come out as avoidance, but then what we do is we observe them in different situations. Um, for instance, we, we have a little device that can record uh, yeah. at random intervals that we ask them to wear for a few days, and they don't know when it's going on and off, and they're not allowed to take it off except for very occasional circumstances like going to the bathroom. And they don't know when it records. And, <laughs> That's and then great. it records uh, these conversations, might be conversations, might, there might be nothing on it, and then we listen to it afterwards, and a lot of the people who ended up like filling out this questionnaire as being avoidant turn out to be uh, actually anxiously attached, uh, being afraid of being alone, yeah. and, um, and uh, assuming, assuming that, um, that, that after two days there's actually a relationship going on, you know, they right. have sex on the first or second or fourth date and yeah. they think that that's that sort of that's just normal <laughs> we're not moving it ahead too fast wow dr uh brit brogard we appreciate you that it's such great insight folks and by the way she's written a couple books on it uh brit brogard is her name on romantic love uh, which will be out uh, in t- uh, in 2015 this year, and and the superhuman mind. Also, go to Psychology Today. Great place to go find all of her other writings as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show, folks. Again, attachment. We're, we're all we've all got it, and uh, we're all trying to make it here on this crazy earth. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with the guys from BYU Sports Nation.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That's the yeehaw, the hibbity hop, which means, <laughs> hold on, that was Hot Rod Hunley, hibbity hop. We're heading uh, down to BYU Sports Nation in Studio B to join Spencer and Jerem, the boys from the BYU Brotherhood of Sports Nation. Dumb. Did you just drop a Hot Rod Hundley reference? Did you hear my hibbity hop? Hibbity hop, left side. <laughs> You sound just like him, man. He, he rest in peace. Last Friday, yeah, I know was, what a, a stud. I didn't realize he was so big throughout all of the NBA too. Isn't that yeah. wild? Because he he did uh, he was broadcast for the Lakers as well, All American at West Virginia. That's so he so was cool. he was uh, he wasn't just the jazz player. No, he was he was bigger than that. And hippity hop. That is a line that yeah. I used to use all of the time while I was playing by myself on my basketball hoop. Oh, hot Rod Hunley. Yeah, yeah. Matt Townsend, Jeddah pushing him out of the cowhide globe, his home. <laughs> You've got the voice down. <laughs> You're looking loud. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what motivated you guys to get into sports? You know, Hot Rod Hundley was, uh, he was one of two notable sportscasters I met very early in my wanting to become a sports broadcaster dumb. Really? Uh, Craig Bowler Jack, who is yeah. now the voice of the Utah Jazz and was at KSL at the time. And then I met Hot Rod. Uh, I think when I was 10, after a triple overtime Bulls-Jazz game, the oh. Jazz won against Michael Jordan in 1991. And I thought yes. that was like the best yes. thing ever. That was the first Jazz game I went to in person. Really? Yeah, it's been all downhill from there. <laughs> Those were the days. Do you remember? Man. Hey, oh, guys- we, oh, we'll sit there sometimes and do our best NBA on NBC, Marv Albert, Matt Gukas. Yeah. G- give me a little Marv Albert, Jerem. Spencer's got it better. Okay. I, let's see. Well there's, one. well, there's one word in particular. Yes! Like, if you say that, you know <laughs> he's calling it. A spectacular play yeah. by Michael yeah. Jordan. And Chris Morris is feeling it for the Jazz. It, it sounds like he's, like, lifting, like, a, a chest of drawers. Why am I speaking <laughs> like right this? Right. It's very yeah, true. Yeah, we, we like impersonating other play by play. That's really good. Hey, fun. guys, I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder uh, in, in BYU Athletic uh, Arena. but Too I, late. Uh, this was just in. <laughs> Tom Holmo, did you hear this announcement? April Fools, whatever, man. Go ahead, though. Keep going. Hey, <laughs> shut it. <laughs> the, Keep, the, listeners, it. the listeners don't know. Just we'll go react with like I didn't it. hear it. Did go you hear it. BYU just signed a deal with BMW mouth What? Yeah, BMW mouth guards. Yeah, oh. here, here's what it is. BMW has announced uh, the launch of a series of mouth guards offering football players and rugby players the same impact protection as our drivers. <laughs> the German car oil? company the German car company says the interior of the guard uses tire tread technology and grips accordingly while the BMW's signature kidney grill lies between the front incisors incisors acting as an elegant respiration vent I can guarantee you that if Jamal Williams at J Swag Daddy on the Twitter machine finds out about <laughs> this he will have oh. a neon BMW mouth guard mm-hmm Hot. Right up his alley. See, this is how you know BYU's on the cutting edge athletically, because <laughs> we've got the t- highest technology mouth guards. BMW That's mouth the next guards. step. Mm-hmm. It really is. They used to, by the way, they used to just have a Hyundai mouth guard. <laughs> how much are the BMW mouth guards? Uh, tens of thousands of dollars. That's an April Fool's joke, right? No. BYU has independent money, though. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. No, it's not, not Pac-12 money. We're not worried about funds like that? No. Well, no. Hey, whatever to win, man. You get, are we going to win or not? That's the way I see <laughs> That best, is the question. The, the best April Fool's joke would be, BYU gets rid of the honor code. Ooh. 
Now, now we now we can excel at the national level with everyone else athletically. <laughs> now we can play like the now, rest now of the world. We're selling our souls so that <laughs> no, we can compete at the top level. The the athletic <laughs> students, not student athletes, don't have to go on missions now. They can just play. That's yeah. the mission. And, April Fools, and you can grow all the facial hair you need to. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. exactly. I, I think that stunts your I think that stunts your ability to play. Because <laughs> half you know half your energy half your energy has to go to shaving. Yeah, I'm just saying. Or, or in the case of some BYU students, scraping your face up and then trying to get a beard card. Yeah, that's it. That happens? It's like, real, legitimately oh, that happens? It's a real happens? thing. They, like, go yeah. to a doc- they'll use no shaving cream. They'll just shave without it. And so their face is super red. They're like, doctor, look at No, you oh, know what? Oh, my goodness. My board there are people operator, with real issues, but there are people that don't have issues that get beard cards. My board operator, James Birdsall, I came in just the other day. He was rubbing his face on the sidewalk, trying, to, trying to mark himself up so he wouldn't need... <laughs> So we can get a beard card. Did it work, James? No. No, it didn't. <laughs> but he looks like a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the downside is if you do it and it doesn't Tracks work. Tracks on his yeah. face. The funny, thing about trouble. It, the funny thing about it, he doesn't even grow facial hair. Totally weird. Totally weird. You're looking live. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's on live. your show? Are you guys going to cover the? Uh, are you going to cover the mouth guard, the BMW mouth guard? We now? might have a spot to fit that in. We'll see what we can do. I'd throw it out there. Yeah, Just we'll, uh, we'll see if we can. I mean, you stole our thunder. We've already uh, kind of covered the t- hot topic of the day with you. Yeah. So. Well, we covered Hundley and the BMW mouth guard. That you know, you know. On the back burner is the fact that Jeremy and I are hosting the Y Awards today, which is the annual Why? celebration, if you will, for Why? the year in athletics. Why? Why are we hosting it? Yeah, that's a great question. Why? Why award? Why? Hashtag this is why Matt Townsend. <laughs> okay, that's good. So you're hosting those. We're hosting those, and our topic today yeah. is what is the game of the year? Which hmm. is a why award? Why category? Yeah, you, you can vote on it on Twitter. You know, huh? you can have the fans can have a say in this. Okay, and it's uh it's a highly debatable topic. Some people think, oh, it's an easy answer. It is not easy. It's never easy. We will tell you why Spencer. it's not easy. Plus, Jordan Leslie in studio, he had a great pro days trying to make an NFL roster, maybe get drafted. Uh, and then the baseball coach, Michael Littlewood, and then, of course, BYU's invitation to the Big 12. That's coming up <laughs> at uh, wow. noon Eastern. And the, oh, that's right. They, they made the announcement. That's so great. I think the Big 12 is going to be a great match. I don't know. I don't know if we want the benefits of uh, Big 12 all that money. money. I hear that they use Audi mouth guards, not BMW mouth guards. So you know it might what? be a Audi, step down. Audi comparable to BMW in the mouth guard category. Mm, aren't they ever? Anyway, boys, thank you. <laughs> what, are, what are we talking Boys about? to men. <laughs> ABC, BBD. Oh, yeah, you know that, Matt Townsend. <laughs> That's Represent right. from the early 90s, That's Bellevue right. DeVoe. See how yeah. I threw that out there. Okay, guys, have a great show. you got to get to work. Uh, you know, I don't want to slow you down. So You're looking alive. Thanks, Rod. Hot Rod. Peace. Peace out, boys. Be good. Wow, big announcements. BYU in the Big 12. Huge. Audi, mouth guards, throwing them away. We're buying BMW mouth guards here at BYU. And James... Got a beard card. Yeah. All that news on Sports Beat Nation. Sports, 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 sports Beat Nation. Sports Beat Nation. BYU sports Beat. It's Beat Sports Nation. Sports stuff with BYU two guys. Sports Nation. Beat. Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Those guys, man, they got it good. They got it good. They sit down there in an air-conditioned studio. We sit up here in an air-conditioned studio. Is it air-conditioned? That's why I wear that coat. I'm always freezing it. Yeah. I thought you were just, you know, wearing, wearing I, I the BYU freeze. No, jacket. No, I don't. I leave it here because I freeze in my little office. They call my office 
The cooler. The cooler. I don't know why. It's so cold. It should be the freezer. It's all the drinks on the desk. Yeah, it's all the drinks on the desk. Trying to keep my drink, my beverages cool. Uh, any other news we need to focus on? We've had a big relationship day. We talked a lot about a lot of relationship stuff. But we also figured out that you have an attachment disorder. I do. That was good to know. I probably do. Mm-hmm. And it, it probably came from my mom. <laughs> I'm just going to go straight out on a limb and blame my mom for I, that I one. blame her for most issues. Your mom's probably a wonderful, lovely lady. Probably. No, she is. I'd like to meet her. <laughs> I know she is. Your dad, wonderful man as well. Wonderful. And they listen to the show. Yes. Frequent visitors to the website. We probably ought to call them. When's your birthday? Later. Okay, so we'll have to figure that out. James, take a note. Uh, okay. Take a note. Call the South, the South family. Okay, the South family. Yep. Wow. He's typing was, this one. I thought something was breaking in no, the studio. No, he's typing okay. it. Uh, uh, to connect with them on the celebration for Terry's 39th birthday. Eighth. Oh, I guessed. Yeah. <laughs> you fell for it's it. It's pretty close. Um, celebrate the joy of their parenting and learn some dirt on Terry's childhood. Okay. To use against him. Mm-hmm. Sincerely. The talent? The talent. Okay. The talent. Why did you laugh about that? I just think it's funny when you refer to yourself as the talent. Well, what, what else did I refer to myself as? Uh, Dr. Matt Townsend. His Excellency. His Excellency, the Duke. You referred yourself uh, as the Duke. I've the used Duke. all four today. Okay. So now I'm going with talent. Okay. Okay. By the end of the show, I like to hit all four of those titles. Your, your favorite, uh, one of your favorite stores to frequent, Radio Shack, of course, going out of business. Yes. It was announced yesterday Sprint is buying up like 1,700 of the stores. Wow. Flipping them to Sprint stores. Oh, boy. Really? Sell cell phones, yeah. That's a lot of Sprint. That's a lot of Sprint. <laughs> I mean, not to be rude, but boy. Yeah. Do we really need that many Sprint stores? Well, I mean, there is the idea that the store is already built. You don't really have to do anything other than, you know, take down the Radio Shack signs and put up Sprint signs. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, you, thank you, Sprint. You may see that happening. Picking the, up the, that mess. The Navajo Nation has some of the highest obesity and diabetes rates in America, yeah. and advocates are aiming to turn that around with a return to older ways and the Americans' first junk food food tax. So the 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 tribe themselves are going to put a, a junk food tax to raise money, I guess, for the tribe. The initiative will go into effect next month, slaps a 2% tax on food with little or no nutritional value, <laughs> including soda, chips, cookies, and it's paired with the elimination of 5% or, or there's a 5% sales tax. They eliminated a 5% sales tax on fresh fruit and fruit and vegetables. Oh, interesting. So healthy yeah. food, they eliminate the tax. Huh. Junk food, they raise the tax. That's smart. They want you to eat the other stuff because, you know, even if you're looking at it, it's cheaper but rather I, than your I health. I think when I go shopping, I'm just looking at Cheetos. I'm not looking yeah. at my tax repercussions. Yeah. But so it's the same cool. thing uh, uh, communities have done with smoking and other, other sort of products that way where they put a tax on it. You know what? They call man? it a sin tax, I guess, so yeah. that it keeps it, – it makes it – Less attractive to get into that because there's more money involved. As I thought syntax was uh, like an editorial tool. Anyway, yeah, um, right? But let me because maybe this could go back. Oh, we've got to end. But this could go back to our how we raise money. If instead of right. just ticketing people when they're speeding, why don't we also pay people when they're not? 
or give them some sort of benefit no, that way. No, pay me. Well, uh, you could get paid. Pay me for knows. the 30% of the time that I am driving the speed limit. What if they give you some sort of city credit? Nah. You can get a free T-shirt if you... I want money. Filthy lucre. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to call it a day, my friends. Again, we can't do the show without you. We're here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. Come join us where we'll help you live longer, love stronger, and lead the ones you're with. Have a great 4th of July. The Matt Townsend Show is over and out.